This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Talk money to me. Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me. This is your Need To Know Financial Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Candice Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. Now, welcome guys to another exciting episode where we'll be sitting down with a very interesting guest in the world of business. We're very excited to be joined by Don May from Domino's Pizza. Thank you for joining us today, Don. It's great to be here. Now, Don is a well-known successful businessman in Australia and really needs no introduction. But to get us all up to speed on his career journey so far, Candice, take it away. So Don is, as Felicity said, the current CEO and Managing Director of Domino's Pizza. The stock ticket on your Bloomberg, guys, is DMP, and that is Australia's largest um, and actually also first publicly listed pizza chain. Under Don's leadership, the company has really gone from strength to strength, uh, and it's now an international enterprise with over 3,000 outlets across 10 different markets, including here in Oz, our fellow neighbours in New Zealand, Belgium, France, the Netherlands, Japan, and a few others. It's actually um, the largest Domino's business in the world outside of the US, which is obviously where it all began. So Don discovered his appetite for the love of pizza back in 1987. We're going to hear about his journey and how he all started in a small seaside suburb of Redcliffe in Queensland, where he worked part-time for what was called back then Silvio's de la Pizza. Have I said that right, Don? Silvio's de la Pizza, yes. <laughs> Silvio's de la Pizza. I think you tried to make a little bit more fancy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and back then you were studying also to be a high school teacher. But then you obviously fell in with the the love of the pizza world and you climbed the ranks from there and really the rest is history. So with all of that, guys, we're excited to bring you today's conversation with Don. Let's get into our conversation. Excellent. So I understand that you're actually celebrating 35 years in the pizza business. Congratulations. That's huge. Thank you. Yeah, it is huge. It's now, gone by very quickly. Yeah, I bet. Um, now, can you share with us what it was like running a pizza business back in the late 80s, what the customer wanted back then, how you were placed in the market versus peers, average pizzas, pizza orders, etc., cetera, um, versus now? Do you think the customer and market has dramatically changed over time? Are we eating more pizza? We, we are definitely eating more pizza, which is a good thing. I think that it, what's interesting is what's been constant all the way through is that, that that's actually the same. We, we talk about it all the time, is that it's what's been constant today that continues to drive our success. But what we're able to do is um, deal with it differently because of technology, with more information, with more knowledge and, and data. You know, the whole Domino's brand is over 60 years old. And what still astounds me is that we learn every day. And yet it's only because we have new data, new insights, um, but they still, they still drive back to 
the same fundamentals, which in our business, you know, we, we're in the value business. All QSR, which is fast food, is, va- is in the value business. And for us, the value equation is um, our product, our service, and our image divided by the price. So the better the product, the better the service, the better the image, it's worth more. The lower our product, service, and image, it's worth less for the price. And, and the ultimate measure um, for the customer is through our net promoter score. And so, you know, while still today, as it was back then, delivery was the main game in town, there's been moments in where carryout's been our, our, our largest growth, where there was a, a period of time when delivery around the world in Western markets was in decline. But with, with the growth of digital, um, it's, it's, all, it's all about delivery. I think one thing that, that has continued to grow and expand is the customers are getting much more sophisticated for, on the quality. And, and so over year after year after year, both health and quality are playing a much bigger part of the menu and more choice and variety in the pizza. So, you know, when I started a business, we, we sell five pizzas on the menu. And, you know, today it can range between 20 to 35 pizzas, depending on which country around the world. And in places like Japan, you know, 60% of our pizzas are quattro. So you've got four styles of pizza on one pizza. So variety choice has definitely changed over time. And health and the understanding of where the product's coming from, um, the ESG layer underneath, is you know, definitely customers are asking for better governed you know companies companies that are not just there to exist for profit that everybody's getting a share you know much more fair share of the of the price so there's some I suppose from a business you know macro view those things are changing but if you still come back to it the very very fundamentals of that value equation were true you know 35 years ago as they are today. I'm actually still stuck on that Quattro pizza. So one pizza four different types of pizza on the one pizza? That's right. So that's 60% of our business and another 20% is half and half. So really only 20% of our product goes out as a single pizza flavor in Japan. And it probably shouldn't surprise most people if you think about if if you're in Japan, you see how the Japanese consumer eat. There's a lot more little bits of a variety in one meal, like a bento box or something like that. Korean barbecue is quite popular in Japan and you'll notice that there's much more variety at the table. It's lots of little bits, whereas, you know, a Western diet would be, especially an Australian or American diet, I'll just have a lot of steak and this, potatoes, or I'll have a lot of one kind of pizza. That's true, actually. And we'll just order, we'll get one margarita, we'll get one meat lovers, we'll just order multiple pizzas here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we do eat a lot more, yes. Do you remember, Don, the first five pizzas that you were selling back in the 80s? Yeah, so back then it was a, um, a Supreme, a Hawaiian a cheese pizza, a pepperoni, and a beef and onion. So the meat lovers wasn't even invented. Uh, so the meat lovers came a few years later as a wow. That's you know that's pretty five, six, seven variations of meat on a pizza was was pretty extreme. And it, and then overnight it became the biggest selling pizza. And in places like Australia, New Zealand, and very heavily in New Zealand, we have a a, a barbecue sauce uniqueness. That's not common to the rest of the world. Aussies love barbecue sauce. In fact, it, it, a lot of our history, half our pizzas have been barbecue. It isn't today. We've, you know, it's, it's stretched with other, other sauces, but that's that's a very unique thing. And in, in the Kiwis take it to another level. They'll put sauce on top of the pizza as well. So you've got barbecue on the bottom and barbecue on the top. So it's a very <laughs> That's my sweet. kind of pizza, yum. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, we've looked at the past, and, and I guess you've explained really great how the business model has evolved, but really the customers kind of stayed the same, right? Your business model is really translucent to lots of different decades. But let's mm. look ahead now. So what indicators do you and your team look at 
you know, what do you sit down around a board table thinking, where is the future demand going in this space? What are the customers wanting? How can we predict where the food business sector is going in five, 10 years from now? Yeah, and, and, and this continues on that theme is that if you want to be right about the future, because you know, a lot of people try to get a crystal ball out and speculate, but the thing that's going to be right is what's constant. If you really innovate against what's constant, you're probably going to be right. And so what's constant for, for, for us is that, you know, consumers do want that improved convenience. You know, there's very few customers who ever woke up and said, gee, I wish my pizza took longer. You know, they're going to, customers want it faster. And if with technology, they'll expect that. And then, you know, nobody woke up and said, I wish my pizza tasted you know, today worse than it did yesterday. So, you know, the, the, the requirements to improve the quality, the health, where the food's coming from will continue to climb. And then the, you know, the image of the brand around the ethics behind the brand, the values of the company, does it actually do what it says its values are? How is it going after uh, things like sustainability? You know, how diverse is the organisation? So, you know, does it reflect its communities? And, and being a global business, that means reflecting the communities by country because to be a Japanese business, a German business, an Aussie business can mean different things when you talk about diversity. And it's really important that, you know, listed companies around the world don't just put an American view on the world or an Australian view or British or French or whatever. So one of the things that we're, as I said, we keep learning more about our business is that we've been, most of our history have been a very transactional focused business. And what we mean by that is that we've been very focused on the profitability for every transaction and the one-off experience in any one of those transactions. But um, with, with data uh, over the more recent years, we're very focused now on the customer lifetime journey because what, what we can show our, our franchisees, our managers and our team members is that, you know, uh, uh, the difference between a once-a-year buyer versus our most frequent customers, the irony is our most frequent customers on average spend less per order but we make a lot more per order. And then at their bigger promoters, the NPS scores are higher. And where this hits the road is that imagine if a store's about to close at 11 o'clock at night and someone rocks up at the door and wants to buy a five pizza at one past 11. Now, if you disappoint that customer with the service, because you think, geez, it's a $5 pizza and I'm, cl- I'm closed, you could be actually, you know, taking away a customer um, who's probably going to spend $80 in three or four days' time. You know, most frequent customers... Um, are shopping every four or five days. So can you imagine when you disappoint a customer like that, you know, those customers are probably going to spend $1,300, $1,400 over a year at the at one end of the curve. So think of every transaction not by, oh, it's, it's only a $5 pizza and it's this, you know, think of it more about this is a customer and if I can turn them into a, somebody who's going to be spending with me for life and they're a promoter of Domino's, it's worth a lot to all the stakeholders including the customer. Yeah, you know what? My partner is actually one of the weekly dominoes and he orders the pepperoni and then the meat lovers as well as a garlic bread. So he's a consistent every five-day <laughs> buyer um, and he's never been disappointed. He goes to dominoes because he knows it's going to be quick and he knows it's going to be nice. Yeah, and, and so imagine if we ever did, though, disappoint. I mean, that's an, a really important customer that we've just lost. And, and so we ask ourselves, how do you take the person who's a one-time buyer and take them on the journey up? Now, not everybody's going to be... Unlike your partner buying every week, and that's okay. <laughs> but you know, if we can take you from one to two this year, 
that's a 100% increase, right? And and so the way we think about that, the way we can, um, when we look at our technology going forward as well, the irony of a lot of this is also how do we make it just so much easier all the time? It sounds contradictory. On one end, customers want a lot of choice, but with that choice, they still want it to be easy. So if your choice makes it hard for me, making it harder overrides that choice. You've got to make it easier while giving me that choice. And and with technology, you know, it's it's doing a lot of A-B testing and watching how the consumer behaves and so on, but also how we execute in our stores because we're trying to do more, but how do you do more without, you know, ending up with worse service and lower quality and so on? We'll touch on the disruptors uh, um, a bit later in our chat, but you've raised a good point. You know, when I'm, for example, uh, on a Friday night looking, what do I want for takeout for me and my family? I'm on Deliveroo. There is too much choice in my opinion. And there's mm. been actually a few times, I'm a Domino's customer for life as well, full disclosure, guys, that I will just go, I can't decide. So I'm just going to go back to what I know, which is Domino's. Yeah. And then you turn yeah. the TV on and then you have too much choice with the streamings also, <laughs> you know, with Netflix and Amazon and Disney. So I think that's a really good point, Don, that you've, you've raised that, you know, just stick to what the customer wants and almost preempt it. And that's what tech, advanced tech is so good at doing, right? Knowing what your yeah. behavioral patterns are. And complex choices, simple. Right, yeah, It relates yeah. everywhere. Now, yeah. one area of growth that DMP has done successfully in the past is adding more international markets to the network. Now, in 2006, you expanded into parts of Europe, being France, Belgium, the Netherlands and Monaco. Then in 2013, the acquisition of Japan occurred. Then you fast forward to 2015, you actually bought Germany. Luxembourg was added 2018, Denmark in 2019, and more recently, Taiwan in 2021. So just last year. Now, if we were playing a game of risk, clearly your strategy here is world domination. Is that the plan? Are there any more international markets on the horizon that you can talk about? You look, the world's a big place, so we're only in 10 markets, so we, you know, we've got to be realistic. Look, we definitely believe that we can operate more markets. It's not exponential. You know, there, there is a reality of, once again, being focused and efficient and, and making sure that we don't overcomplicate the execution. But we've, we've had a really good history of growing talent in our business. We have a, a very unique version of our of the Domino's model, um, which we do quite well, which we call high-volume mentality, and quite simply that just means that um, if you remove all of the mental and physical bottlenecks in any business, sales and profits can be exponential. And so when we go into a market, we don't travel as Aussies or, or any other nationality. We travel as entrepreneurs with a business model and then we apply that high-volume mentality thinking. So with our high-volume mentality, and, and that can translate with also all of our technology today, which typically compared to a lot of smaller dominoes, um, if you just owned one country, you wouldn't have the ability to invest the way we have. And so we're able to leverage this much bigger business now to build, you know, quite driven technology. And so we've got the people, we've got a business strategy, we've got the technology, you know, we've got a good balance sheet. And so what, where should we go? Now, you know, there's a lot of places in the world we shouldn't go. You know, we, we're, we're very focused on Europe and APAC, and that's probably how most of our future is going to play out. You always keep an open mind so you never say it has to be or never will be. But today, it, it, the most high, highly likely for investors is that we'll continue to explore markets within Europe and within APAC. And as long as we can continue to grow that talent and have the business model, then, then we should pursue those opportunities. 
Okay, so that's um, that's a good little insight there, guys. And I guess the flip side of that, what's the biggest risk that you see at the moment for Domino's going forward, the Domino's group? Yeah, you know, fortunately, because we're a long growth company, um, the long focus is always about the talent, that this is still a people business. You know, brands fail all over the world when they're not executed properly, and that comes down to the skills, the knowledge of the management and the leadership in any organisation. So continuing to build on that is a significant investment for us today and we're getting better and better at that. Um, So that's by far the biggest risk. Then there's always these near-term, short-term things, which, you know, some investors, of course, they're they're responsible and accountable to the markets um, in every half. And and so, you know, you've got many, many things that that float around. But, you know, whether it's inflation today or it's, you know, uh, what are some of the other ones in the past, whether it was COVID, you know, whether it's uh, extreme weather conditions, like you can have some, you know, some uh, natural disasters, um, and so forth and so on. Most of those live within a window of a one, two, three-year window, and and they also create opportunity. As much as there are risks, there can be opportunity as well. Because if you're one of the companies that's swimming, you know, when others are yinging and you're yanging, there there may lie an opportunity to to get more market share. But that but if you don't get them right, then they can also be quite painful. Nothing goes in a straight line. I suppose one of the other ones when you think of a high growth business is that do you do you get a few speed bumps? That means that you've grown so quickly in certain places that it's harder to see, but all of a sudden, you know, you need some muscle memory building the business. You've got to get that talent up at a store level. And so we've, we've had that in some businesses as well. And I guess I would love to hear your thoughts also on the food delivery business as a whole, right, with the disruptors being the deliveroos of the world and et cetera. How is that impacting Domino's, you know, in the last sort of five years, really, that's really taken off? Yeah, it's a really, really good question because it's anti-intuitive for investors. What, what, what naturally happens for most investors, they say, well, Domino's has been the leader in this space for delivery period. And so with the advent of aggregators, you know, that, that therefore it's going to disrupt Domino's. And there is a risk depending on how we play to that game. But the way we look at it is that, you know, as I mentioned earlier on this podcast, is that over 15 years ago, delivery was in decline. But with, with the ease of digital fulfilling so many of your needs, you know, that your previous frictions... Um, would have been that, well, when is my pizza going to arrive? And now with trackers, you can tell when your product's going to arrive. You've always got value on inside the app. You, you don't have to collect vouchers in a drawer. You know, you can build your products the way you want to build them because on the phone you can't remember and there's so much noise and hustle. And now, so, you know, there's some of the, the biggest need states are being dealt with in the in delivery and so therefore delivery is growing. And that's for, that's for the, we call this the age of delivery period. So that's a delivery of everything retail. And, and so all of a sudden now it's actually a tailwind. So you can imagine where we were running against a shrinking market. Now we're playing in a growing market and nobody delivers like dominoes. So when you come specifically to the aggregators, the, the aggregator itself is not the competitor. It's creating a new marketplace. It's just like Google. It's, you know, if you're not trending well inside Google, you're not going to get that, that placement of the order. Aggregators are a marketplace. Our competitors are the companies that are in the aggregators and they're our competitors even outside the aggregators. And our our natural born competitor is organized fast food, which is quick service restaurants. So those in the burger business, those in the chicken business, the sandwich business and the pizza business, which are the four biggest categories typically in in the Western world. And so, you know, we've got to play to win on all platforms 
And so whether we're, we're trying to win on a share of voice in, the, in mass media like television or in the letterbox, we're, whether we're trying to win in other frenemy businesses, which are like platforms where, where companies get your data, we call them frenemies because at one end, you you know, they're, they're a platform to go and get business, but on the other end, they will use your data against you if, if you want. But, but the way to win is none of these technology businesses want to serve bad content. They want to serve, because if they serve bad content, people leave their platforms. You know, they, they see their conversion rates drop. So that's how you've, you've got to understand the algorithms and then they're, and they're all driven around customer need states So and then focus on those need states. So that's your social media. That's all of your um, Google products. That's and, and that's the aggregators today. So we're inside the aggregators. But the one thing that is very different to Domino's, only Domino's will deliver. We will not give up the control of that product and that service. We simply acquire the order off the aggregator. So in summary, they're not our competitors. They're actually just another marketplace for us to go and shop for customers. I really like the way you've said that, your frenemies. I mean, we've all got some of those and the way that you've actually categorised the different sectors within the fast food business. So let's take another trip down memory lane for a moment. So 2005, Domino's became Australia's first publicly listed pizza chain business on the ASX. Back then, you actually raised $75 million at $2.20 IPO price. And today, the market cap of Domino's now sits around $7 billion, with an all-time high share price of $167.15, more recently trading around the $80 price levels. So clearly the right move going to market. So I guess my question is, has there been any business goals that you look back on now since IPO that you think you've gotten right? Do you think maybe you should have stayed private for a little bit longer, like a lot of businesses are doing now? And on the flip side, what could you have done better? Yeah, no, being public for a consumer brand has been a positive because all of a sudden everybody has a viewpoint. You know, it, it really amazes us, especially because, you know, the Australian ASX, when you look back over the last two decades, you know, a lot of mining, mining services, banks, you know, not a lot of fast-moving retail businesses that, that are actually creating their products and creating their technologies in the market. So we became a fish in this pond where we were unique and everybody had a Domino's opinion. And as a result of that, by default, by talking about us, they probably became consumers. And so it was, you know, when we would report at such a tiny business, we would be able to get millions of dollars of um, communication off a speaker box we wouldn't have got if we weren't public because people wouldn't have been as interested. But that little tiny pizza company, you know, they're in the fast food business, aren't they like big tobacco? There's no money in pizza. It seems too cheap. But all of a sudden when there was transparency into our business, I went, wow, actually, no, this business, um, you know, fast food isn't like big tobacco. You know, it it is about customers do have choices. They can buy healthier options on the menu and, and so on and so on. So those sort of debates have helped really grow the brand. And people often ask us, you know, with the size and how much of your business comes from overseas, you know, do you wish you were listening to other markets? And I, and I, I still say that, well, you know, because of the ability and, and all of the discussion and interest in Australia, how many fast growth companies with a long pipeline exist on the ASX and therefore it attracts, you know, um, long only growth institutional funds and so on, so and investors. But um, I think there was many parts to your question. So what was the other parts to that question? <laughs> there was quite a few parts to it. Um, is there something that you think that you could have done better? It's always in hindsight when you see things. And, and as I said, it's often been growing pains where we've missed something. More often than not, we've tripped on ourselves. And that is that um, 
you know, for everything that you can see in the data, something else happens and um, and we get caught out by that. So, you know, we, and we've got to take responsibility for those. So it's a people business. You know, we, we employ between ourselves and our franchisees over 100,000 people now. And a lot of those team members are also transient in our business. They're casual workers as well. So when you when you think around the world, when you've got that many people involved, how do you lead? How do you see these insights? And uh, and and it's it's a lot harder um, than it looks sometimes, you know. And, and we've tripped on ourselves in the past. Yeah, I think hindsight is a beautiful thing for most people, to be honest. Now, in a moment, we're going to be hearing some of the highlights of the recent DMP report, and actually mm-hmm. a typical day for Don as a CEO running a pizza business empire. But before we do, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And we're back. So recently, uh, Domino's reported their first half FY22 financials. And we're not going to go through all the numbers here, but I just want to highlight a few of the key numbers. So group EBIT uh, growth was up 25%. So that's about 12% CAGR over the last two-year period. ROE remains strong at 48% due to, as Don's outlined, you know, it's a strong balance sheet and really robust profits. They are obviously a delivery business and online sales actually now equates to about 78% of all total sales for the DMP group. Strong network sales up about 12%. Um, and so looking through the numbers, you know, and you also uh, highlighted that you're looking to expand the network by you know, hopefully another 500 stores throughout this year. Let's go through a few of those key numbers. The EBIT and NPAT figures were actually down slightly, about 6% on previous period. So has COVID booster sales really now dried up? You know, run us through where you see the the small miss there on the previous period for the recent numbers. Yeah, the most significant miss was out of Japan, which has been actually our fastest growth business the last three and a half, four years. And Coming um, out of the state of emergency in September, um, Japan did something that hadn't happened in any other markets at that point, um, where all of a sudden we dropped double digit and 
within a few weeks, it became obvious that it was actually the single consumer pickup customer. And so those consumers went back to, you know, buying something else around that 1,000 yen, 1,500 yen. And, and so we can see through our COVID, we retained a significant amount of customers, particularly our delivery customers, but then we did lose that customer. And in the first month, we didn't know if this was a V, you know, was it, was it just because state of emergency was released, people were going to do something different, but then go back to some other behavior? Because all through COVID, we'd seen a lot of these Vs, but in Japan's case, it wasn't. That customer went back to, you know, to whatever the alternative meal was for a single-use pickup. And, and so at first, we didn't, we, we didn't shut off our team members. We, we held all our team members. Our know, labor was higher. We also promoted really heavily, so we overspent on value. So our numbers were terrible in that October, November period. And then we realized it was potentially um, more longer lasting, reset the business, and we had a very strong December. But the essence of that is that we now that we know that we've basically lost this particular customer, that we've really it's going to take until the end of September this calendar year for us to fully roll that through the business. And there's been other parts of our business as well where France was rolling the their, their curfews last year, where basically you know you couldn't go out after six o'clock, and and most French consumers don't eat till eight o'clock. So therefore, we we were all of a sudden 90, 95 cent delivery. Well. That doesn't exist this year, so we've had to roll that. So yeah, there's some there's some little pieces of the business. Well, they're big parts of our business, France and Japan. They're parts of our business where we just got to roll those moments and then get back to a normalised environment. Of course, the one other red herring that's now been thrown out at us for Europe, particularly, is you know what's going on in Ukraine, and that's very dynamic. You know what's doing to energy costs, the increase of inflation because of that. It's been an interesting two and a half, three years where the amount of ebbs and flows that management has to deal with has um, both thrown up opportunity in, in many cases, as you saw those booming numbers, and then on the other side of that, sometimes some challenges that we just, we've just we got to work through. So can you give us another example of, I guess, how everything with the war in Ukraine is impacting dominoes? Um, and, you know, do you see it continuing to impact you in Europe? Yeah, well, as long as the Ukraine war is around, um, I imagine it's going to have some tensions. You know, you, you read the papers as much as, as as I do to try and second guess what's going to happen. But the biggest change immediately was energy costs. I mean, they went up materially. Um, the food, because we have long contracts, food sort of all I'm in six and 12 month windows. So some of those those issues will play out at a longer phase. By the way, even energy costs, if we have an energy contract, you still are at your current energy price, but you know what's coming because, you know, that energy provider is going to be charging. So it doesn't hit you immediately, but you all of a sudden have a very quick window into what's going to happen. You know, we're halfway through the half. Then you're saying, OK, by July, this is going to happen. In September, this is going to happen and so on. So, yeah, you know, fertilizer skyrocketed. You know, obviously, Ukraine's a huge wheat belt and, you know, wheat also flows into proteins because, you know, that's one of the biggest uh, grain is one of the biggest uh, costs in protein. So, yeah, when you look out, it, it, it put a big spike in inflation. The good news is we have time to respond. It's not like it's that day um, that, you know, there is some movement in, in that area because some, some contractors will just use their, their contract to say, you know, my input costs went up. I, I'm going to be enacting this clause here, which is it has to be passed through. But more of it is the, you know, July, September, January to come. Yeah, well, I guess it kind of leads into our next question as well. So we've got, you know, a lot of food shortages around the world globally. You've obviously prided yourself on really high quality ingredients and now moving into an inflationary environment, you know, you know, how are you, I guess, feeling at the moment from, you know, a Domino's perspective with everything going on? 
Yeah, so one of the things I'm really proud of is all the way through, we've been able to maintain a full menu. You know, many companies around the world have had to shorten their menus, take products off their menus. You know, it's interesting. It's like also there's a chicken wing shortage or there's, you know, a potato shortage in an area and so on. We've actually maintained four menus and, and that's a real credit to our procurement team globally, um, the relationships that they've had. And I think because we've been quite a innovative, consistent business partner with many of our large partners, that they, you know, often they'll be dropping off the flighty people. Because of food security has always been important to us, we, we have had those long relationships, um, whereas some people do spot trading and so on. Well, if you're a spot trader, you just got burned in this window um, because you're going to look after your loyal ones who are going to be here on the other end of that curve. Obviously, inflation is a big thing that all investors are worrying about. You know, how do you hedge your portfolio? And one philosophy that we say to all of our clients and our listeners here at Talk Money to Me is really let's have the philosophy of looking for those strong value pricing power companies, you know, that aren't going to feel the pinch so much. So breaking it down, I guess, what foodflation number are you pricing in at the moment? And how does that flow down to the customer at the end of the day? Yeah, we haven't shared those publicly as yet. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. We, uh, we can try. Yeah. yeah. So we've generalised and said that, you know, they've been in those sort of 5% ranges and in some cases um, more. But the, the Europe's experiencing the highest amount of inflation, maybe ANZ in the middle and then Japan still at the lower end. The fact that Japan has inflation is quite interesting for that market to deal with because it's even been a deflationary yeah. economy for, for, for you know, many decades. But overall, yeah, Europe is the epicentre for our business and you've got wage inflation, you've got food inflation, you've got utility cost inflation. And you've so, yeah, the war everywhere. Yeah. And, and by the way, I mean, you know, one of the things that is helping our business is the actually the migration and people looking for jobs in a very tight labor market. We're starting to see the early parts of that, that, you know, you, you, you unfortunately, for all of the reasons that it happening but you know ukrainian population are very well educated great you know hard-working people and so there's opportunity for us to employ um you know some of the the forced immigration that's happening there but that's you know that's by the side versus what all the other horrible things um that are going on so we try to evaluate our product we we don't believe you just simply put up your price you should do what we call more for more so if you're going to put up your price, try to give the customer something with that price. So an improved crust, an improved topping, improved quality, um, improved packaging. There's so many initiatives. It's the compounding effect of this that we're living in a new era that we've never experienced. So in our lifetimes, we haven't seen these compounding levels and where do they, can, you know, how far can these things go? How much can you innovate in your product? What is the elasticity of price? Because we've never actually had to experience this sort of level. So whilst we're optimistic with the programs we're delivering, there's still a bit of uncertainty when you look out 12 months from now. Now, switching gears to end our conversation, can you, you know, as a CEO of a huge company, can you run us through what your actual typical day looks like? When does it start? And how do you actually fill your day? And and what are you thinking about surrounding the business and what's next? Yeah, so there isn't really too much of a typical day because it depends on where I am. If, if I'm back in Australia, it gets a little bit more normalised. So I do go up relatively early, 5, 5.30 and try to exercise, you know, five to six days a week. You're no good to anybody as a leader if you're not fit and healthy in mind. And so that's, that's how I start my day. Um, and then normally, you know, hitting Zooms or physical meetings now starting at around 7.38 and then day runs through to about six o'clock but it's all over the place you know tonight I'm, I'm out touring stores until eight o'clock 
Um, I'll be touring stores again tomorrow on a Saturday just because you really want to see your stores when there's volume and business around. And we've got a long weekend with Anzac Day, so, you know, I won't be working as hard on Monday. So I've taken the opportunity to hit the road and see stores over these two days. But I'm also in a product development session at lunchtime today, which is both fun and exciting because, you know, designing the future products is a fun thing, but it's, it is that you're mentally aware that you're going to be consuming a lot of calories today because you have to eat this you know you've got to be you've got to have a real opinion on this food today so yeah you know that from we review meetings different parts of the business there are structured meetings for the week so we have a global leadership team meeting every in australian time it's thursday afternoon but yeah typically when i'm on the road it's a mixture between store tours commissary tours so we have our our food distributions um units you know then in leadership meetings my core job is to continue to help the business with high volume mentality. That is, unlock the mental and physical barriers. Where are we needing more resources? Where are we needing more talent? Where are people just having a mental blockage? And how do I help them think through their mental? Because what ends up happening is industries and even our own business, it swims in its own think. And so people start to think that this is just how it is. But does it have to be that way? And it, can you look at it a, a different way? And so asking the question over and over and over the years, because that's been the main drive of the business, that's become one of my core skills is just keep challenging the business to think differently. Um, so, yeah, there's no normal. You know, there's rallies, there's team meetings, there's getting out big franchise groups, organising. You know, in a few weeks I'll be off to Vegas to um, to a big Domino's Global uh, rally. And then there's also the public company side, which, you know, half your full year AGM, Fortunately, today, um, because we've got such strong investor relations, I really am only focused on the, the investor side three weeks of the year, which really, which is really, I think that's what shareholders want management to do, right? Not just telling the story every day, but actually building the story. That's that's where the rubber hits the road. Yeah, definitely. So you're really on the ground, seeing exactly what is going on and what needs improvement. And you're also up at 5am and like most successful CEOs, the 5am club. So I think that's a good tip for everyone. Yeah, thank you. And, and you said, you know, what's the future? You know, it's still, it, this is the age of delivery. It's it, This is a beautiful tailwind for us to execute against. Um, we, you know, there'll be a, a more markets, hopefully, that we can add to the business. There will be a, an end to how many markets we one day own. But right now, we still have a lot of bandwidth to add more countries. Um, so, you know, there's also M&A that I'll be involved in, um, you know, discussions and so on. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun, actually. Exciting road ahead. So, I guess investors can sleep easy tonight going into the long weekend because essentially it sounds like you're not going anywhere, Don. Uh, <laughs> on a personal level, I guess, where do you see yourself in the next five to ten years? Yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately, I mean, personally, I want to be here. I've been here 35 and I'd like to, to ride out my career at Domino's. Um, but obviously, that's also subject to all the stakeholders in Domino's. You know, that um, there are many stakeholders in our group, with, including shareholders. And, um, you know, you can't retire and stay at Domino's. You, you've got to constantly reinvent yourself. You've got to be as fresh as, as this is. And, and as long as I can remain fresh and energised and, and genuinely add value to all our stakeholders and serve this business, then I'd like to be as long as I can be. Fantastic. That's great to hear. Now, we've got one very important question that we ask all of our guests. Coffee, tea or tequila? Coffee. (laughs) And a lot of it. (laughs) It's actually sometimes scary how much black coffee I drink throughout the day. But um, 
I like tequila and I really have a cup of tea. It's it's espresso shots for me and as many of them throughout the day. <laughs> Thank you so much, Don, for your time. You're obviously a very busy man, so we appreciate you sitting down with us here at Talk Money to Me. To finalise our chat today, if any of our listeners want to know more about you or the Domino's story, you know, apart from obviously ordering their favourite Domino's online, how else could they track you down? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously we've got our social media platforms and so on. Because of my amount of travel that I do, and I'm in so many time zones, I'm, I'm often reluctant to just get my email address out there to no, anybody. anybody. But yes, you know, always through our best relations with Nathan Schultz and, um, you know, Nathan will put me in front of those people that, um, that you know, really want to hear the story. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And um, we also encourage you to look up the ticker DMP in your Bloomberg app or wherever you follow your positions. Thanks, Don. Thank you, Candice. Thanks, Felicity. Bye. Cheers, Don. Wow, that was an awesome chat with Don, Felicity. I took so much away from that conversation. But for me, the big ones that stood out was how he described, you know, not just having a one-time customer, right? You really want to have a lifetime customer that will continually purchase uh, through through the Domino's menu and never piss off that customer, you know, because then they're gone for life. And I think that's a good insight into why Japan numbers were down. And, you know, one thing I wrote down on my notepad here is he was really saying we need six to 12 months for those numbers to flush through. So hopefully that means, guys, share price going up in the latter half of this year. <laughs> that's it. What I also really liked is how he's actually on the ground. What he was saying about unlocking mental and physical barriers for all of his employees, I think that was really, really important. It's nice to see a CEO so involved still with the business and so excited about the business after 35 years. And he's come full circle, right? You know, started off originally as a pizza delivery boy. He's essentially the driver behind the wheel still of Domino's, you know. Gives us hope. Gives us all hope. (laughs) And it doesn't sound like he's going anywhere. So that's fantastic news for shareholders. And I think what was great also about Domino's is they are in such extreme growth mode, but they still also pay a dividend. So, yes, they've got that pricing power, good balance sheet and that rapid expansion um, and still a focus on quality. Yeah. And so massive growth business, but really they're a value position at the end of the day. A value growth. I think that's that's a new model, right? It's a new business model that's really emerging. That's it. So exciting times ahead, it sounds like, for Domino's. Again, guys, our conversation today, please remember it is not personal advice, even though we are registered financial advisors at Shoring Partners. Please note that this podcast and the content discussed does not constitute as financial advice, nor is it a financial product. And also make sure you follow us on at Talk Money To Me podcast for daily market updates. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And remember, if you've got any questions, TMT at equitymates.com. Until next time. See you then. Thanks for joining us. Talk Money to Me is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast.
For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the EquityMates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, EquityMates Media and the hosts of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 